0: Act State of Mind, Episode 170. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I am your host, as always, Jason Meadows. Today is a extra, extra special episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast. A couple of weeks ago, we sat down, me and my friends, Brian Alexander, Clay Connery, and Jared Lumen. all have their own podcasts, the Ranching Reboot podcast, the Working Cows podcast, and the Herd Quitter podcast, respectively. We sat down. This is actually an idea that Brian had for all of us to sit down and have just a conversation about regenerative ag, about casting, about just all things, the American food system. And let me tell you, the conversation did not disappoint. And I am so excited for y'all to hear this podcast. Uh, It's been it's been a really cool Thing to get together to do. It was hard. It was actually, it was really hard to get together all of us on the same schedule. Um, but I'm so glad that we finally got it done. So, uh, again, excited for y'all to listen to this podcast. Let me know what you think. Uh, and let me know if you'd like to hear this, hear us again. We have, uh, we have plans to hopefully do this as an in-person podcast sometime in the future. So, um, all right, guys, here we go with my podcast conversations with my friends, Jared, Brian, and Clay.
1: Jared, I'm kind of curious, if you had, have you had any interesting experiences um, with fans in public? Um, You know, not too
2: much. I'd say the one thing that was closest was at uh at Doug Ferguson's sell-by marketing school when I went to that one. And I walked in and Doug was like, oh, there's... Jared Lumen, he's the the herd quitter podcast guy, and like people walked, they all came and shook my hand like I was some sort of a celebrity, and it's like, well, this is unusual. I you're I, a big deal, man. Any sort of a reception like that, but it was nice to yeah, it was nice to know that I think that was the first time I'd ever been to some sort of an ag event since I did this podcast and actually had people who listened to my podcast, like meet them in person. And that was kind of neat because most of, you know, you have every now and then people reaching out via social media, but that was the first in-person thing. So that was pretty cool.
1: What about you, Jason? Anything like that happened to you?
0: Uh, I met your buddy CK down at, uh, at GLC. Gosh, I guess that's been over a year ago now. That was pretty cool. Um, just lots of people who listen to all the podcasts and, uh, you know, it's, it's really cool, you know, not that I claim that it's to have fans per se, but I think it's, it's really cool to know that people actually do like, those aren't just bots listening to the podcast, you know, that they're actually real people listening to the podcast and they're getting real value out of it. That's, I mean, it, it always seems to come when, Either, whether it be in in person or on social media in you know it, it that kind of jolt of energy of somebody talking to me about the podcast seems to come um at just the right time like when i'm frustrated with things or you know the workload seems like it's a lot uh, it, it comes right at the right time and keeps gives me that just little burst and makes it all worth it i definitely agree
1: with that that like there's been several times that well-placed, well-timed feedback from a fan has been like mm. put a little bit more fire, you know, put a little fire under the boiler, a little more gas in the tank, kind of keep me going. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Clay, I'm sure you've got all kinds of stories. <laughs> uh,
3: there's one that sticks out and it, it's, uh, man. So the same night I interviewed Corb Lund, um, mm-hmm. I was at his show. We, I went down to Rapid City and went to his show and after the show, of course, there's a mile-long line waiting to get into the bathroom. And I'm talking to somebody. I don't know if it was somebody I was at the show with or somebody um, somebody just that happened to be there or whatever. And so we're on one side of this wall, and there's no door, but there's a wall between us and where all the people are in the bathroom. And I'm talking to this guy, and I hear from the other side of this wall... I hear Clay Conry out there, <laughs> and it was That's awesome. It was Casey Schumacher who's at Cal Broker on Twitter, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, and yeah, he he just come out. and He's like, "Hey, I listen to your podcast. Keep it up." You know, I was just like, "This is weird." I was recognized by my voice. That is as really some cool. dude was yeah. washing his hands after using the bathroom. <laughs> That's
1: how you know you've made it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how about you, Brian? Well, I guess I've been out in public, you know, often since I started, you know, Red Hills Rancher on social media. Mm. But, you know, that really didn't take off until the first time I was on, you know, Working Cows podcast. And that's when, you know, all my, that's when my reach of Red Hills Rancher really started going up. Um, So I, I was kind of used to being recognized in public for that. But what I was not prepared for was the first time I kind of went back out to go you know, to a soil health event or a grazing event with uh grass-fed exchange last year down in Fort Worth. That was the first time I'd really been out since I started the podcast. And yeah, it was it was kind of an experience getting to the registration table. It it just it was probably like two people, but it felt like a sea of people just mobbed me when I got to the registration table and then trying to walk in and go find a seat, it kind of felt like it was you know, I had to go through several people to do that. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's always interesting to meet fans in to meet fans where they are and and hear their story, because um, every one of them that I meet gives me a better idea of of who's listening, you know,
0: mm-hmm. like mm-hmm.
1: and that's one thing I struggle with, like and
0: who actually listens to this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> what about local people? Do you guys get local people like that come up to you? You know, I work in town, so I all the time I'll get people who I don't expect to listen to the podcast whatsoever, you know, not even involved in ag at all. And they'll come up and to me and tell me how much they enjoy the podcast. I'm like, wow, you're like the last person that I've ever thought. would listen."
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't get too many in, in my area. I'm mostly all like crop country. So there's not many cattlemen who probably listen, but I'm always surprised. There's
0: one they, they send you hate mail in your part. Yeah, of the country. yeah.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm fortunate not to have too much of that. Um- but, uh, there's a friend of mine's dad, I guess, who it surprises me that in, if he's listening to this, uh, he's a sugar and crop farmer in West central Minnesota, a friend of mine from college's dad, who, uh, apparently is a regular listener and has, uh, requested that we bring up six grass fed steaks so he can try them out and see if it's all what it's, uh, you know, all what it's cracked up to be. So there's, yeah, I guess there's a few people who are listening, but, uh, not too many in my community, I would say it's just a wrong demographic for the most part it's, seems like. But. Sure.
1: I'd say there's some folks around in the local area that do listen. Um, I, I'm not sure who, who, who all of them are like they, and I, I guess I just never don't go to town. I don't go to town near often enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, I go
0: too much. I go too much for my liking. So <laughs>
2: <laughs> Brian, I'm curious if you're uh what, what would you say your biggest, is it uh is it TikTok or podcasts that people Spot you more, or I don't know, associate what you with uh,
1: more. Uh, probably right now, podcasts. Um, mm-hmm. I haven't been haven't been really terribly active on TikTok, but I don't think I've been around that crowd lately. Like I don't think I've been near that crowd in person, or mm-hmm. maybe I don't even know what that is. There's there's a bunch of them. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of TikTok, you know that that school we all love, Ranching for Profit. I had like six or seven friends off TikTok go to the school, and they all went to Billings. Like, like it was wild, and and seeing the content that they've all made after they've come back is uh, is kind of entertaining.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Man. So I think the ranching for profit thing is interesting uh, because I think that like, especially when Alan Savory and Stan Parsons came, and then even to some extent. Um, when uh, Dave Pratt took it over, you know, I think that those guys had to be fighters, um, because the the ideas had not been widely adopted, and I mean, most of the people would rather burn Alan Savory and Stan Parsons at the stake when they came here in the eighties than they would listen to them. Mm-hmm. And so I've been I've been kind of ruminating on that shift of how. I think these principles have gotten some traction over the, you know, last decades, of course, and um, that th- maybe those rooms aren't as feisty as they used to be. So would you say that the guys that you know that went from TikTok are, were bought in before
1: going? Um, I'd say most of them were. Um, I don't think one of them was. I don't think... Uh, yeah, there was one of them that probably didn't wasn't really uh, didn't really know what they were getting into and wasn't really wasn't as prepared as they thought they were. Which you know I think that's a common story, and you know, a call back to you know what you're saying about Stan and and Dave and and Alan Savory. I remember hearing from my dad, like stories that people used to get up and walk out. Hmm. Um, I remember. I'm not going to say that Dave ever threw anybody out, but I'm sure he invited several people to leave. Um, But yeah, I I remember stories of of like significant numbers of people walking out after the first two days, which is, you know, the the whole people and group and then economics. And I guess I'll say this, like if you go with a bunch of ego, you're going to have a bad time. (laughs) Like that's the biggest thing that I, that, that, now comes to mind when people ask me, like, what can I do to prepare for ranching for profit? Leave your ego at home. I think that's number one.
2: Hmm. That's interesting. I've been thinking about that. And that was kind of one of the questions I want to talk to you about too, is even though uh, not specifically ranching for profit, but the principles that it talks about and like the idea of profitability, it, I don't know, why. what is it that make people so opposed to it? Is it just as simple as like, They don't think that it can be better. And so the idea that they're like that by defining them as a hobby, not a business, because their business isn't able to pay them all these fair wages that that just upsets or offends in a way. Or why is there such a negative reaction? And maybe it's not as negative as it once was when Stan and those guys were starting it. But I don't know. Don't lie that's yeah. that's it like they don't yeah. lie so that's why i don't get why, why the negative why there's so
0: much negativity around it well i think a big part of it is it's almost become a lot of times i'm not picking on anybody here but it's almost become glorified to be like a victim to the circumstances in a way You know, in, in the it, by by the victim, victim of the circumstances in you know the the current ag climate which you know to do things in a in a traditional commodity based way, yeah, is not profitable or, or, or or even break even in that matter. Um, but whenever you kind of challenge the status quo, um, and, and, and take, take control of, of the numbers, I think, I think people just for whatever reason this isn't just in ranching or whatever it's just across the board i think people just are very uh just very resistant to that and they, they they just don't like change
3: i think that's it exactly i think it's a paradigm issue uh i think first of all you've got to recognize that there is another paradigm right like you mm-hmm. ask a fish uh, about water they say what's water you know they don't recognize that there's something else out, other option out there and mm-hmm. so I think that you have to they have to first of all know that there's something other than what they've been doing and then I think Jared kind of what you said too about the you know the fact that oh I got to pay myself what it would cost mm-hmm. me to hire somebody else to do these jobs mm-hmm. you know that is a bridge too far probably for mm-hmm. for some people but I think just the paradigm of oh you know, we, and it's cliche, but it's cliches or cliches for a reason. We've always done it this way. And so people don't want to, don't want to entertain the idea of doing, doing something different. And so I think that's a big part of it.
1: I, I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. You know, there's, and, and again, to kind of call back to some of the early days for ranching for profit, you know, one of the things that Stan Parsons was really famous for and one of the things Dave Pratt loves to say is, if you want to be a cowboy, get a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, you know, there's a big difference between being a ranch manager and running a ranching business and being a cowboy. Mm-hmm. The, two are def- the two are not the same. And, you know, I, I said what I said, but if owning a ranch and having horses and cattle is because you want to live your best cowboy dream, okay, fine. That's fine. Just be honest about it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I like to, I don't know, sometimes with individuals I'll walk through an example of like, say in my area, there's a lot of crop farmers. Like let's say you tomorrow sold all your equipment and invest it in the stock market. You rent your farm to the neighbor and you work for that neighbor. What's changed in your lifestyle. You still get to run the planter, run the combine. You know, you still get to run on your farm. Uh, You still own land, only not, And and if you can do that, you're getting paid for your labor and you're getting paid for your equity and you, you're probably making more money than you had been prior. If you can do that, you know, truly and be more profitable, what what have you given up? And, and that, I don't know, when you put it in those terms, it's maybe a little more easier to kind of see it. But I don't know that a lot of people even think of that as an alternative or an option. But um, I like, what is it, Dave Pratt, I think, that says, you know, why, what, oh, gosh, I'm not going to remember exactly how he goes, but something along the lines of you shouldn't do anything or you should be, you
3: should be getting paid more for doing something than you are for doing nothing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, you knew where I was going with it. Yeah. So <laughs> I appreciate I could,
3: the save there, but I could smell what you're stepping in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Glad you were there on that one, Clay, cause I had nothing. <laughs> okay.
2: I, wasn't I still really remember close, my but.
3: dad came <laughs> home from the South Dakota grassland coalition. I think it might've not have been called that yet. But the South Dakota Grassland Coalition Grazing School, um, you know, quite a while ago, he came home. I was maybe in high school uh, when he came home from that. And he had he had a copy of Stan's book, If You Want to Be a, a Cowboy, Get a Job. And, yeah, I think that was, you know, even back then, it was having an impact, um, you know. But it was, everybody has extenuating circumstances that keep them from being able to implement, uh, these ideas. You know, one of the big ones in my neighborhood is forest service leases and wanting to have calves that are mature enough to take advantage of that. You know, so I know a lot of guys that calve in February and March here because the forest service doesn't care how much those calves weigh when you turn them out. And so you know they'll they'll bring a seven eight hundred pound calf off the forest service in in you know October or November, and it was it didn't cost them any more to do that than it would have to take a four or five hundred pound calf off in October or November so um you know it's there's always these reasons why we can't do it that way, but those those ideas have been around for quite a while. What do you think keeps people in your neighborhood from implementing? these practices?
0: Well, I think a big part for us is just having to find the resources or the, not necessarily the resources, but the knowledge to do so. Um, I mean, we are, it's definitely commodity based country here where, I mean, I guess everywhere is, but um, just, just the lack of education, I think is a big part of it. And I think that's really where podcasting really comes in because we all know that the land grant, universities aren't going to, uh, I mean, never say never, but, you know, they're not getting paid to, to practice and to teach this sort of stuff. So, I mean, um, therefore our extension programs are struggling to implement these things. So it's, it really comes from grassroots levels and, and by grassroots levels, it's individual producers who are doing things in a certain way. And, you know, it, it gets spread by word of mouth. And I think that's a, that's a huge challenge. And, and let's face it, these types of practices aren't very popular at the sale barn or the feed store, especially the feed store, because you don't use as many feed. (laughs) You know what I mean? So like, you're not very popular a lot of the times when you do these things. So uh, that's a huge barrier to implementing the kind of practices we're talking about here. Yeah. Yeah, well, At
3: the time of this recording, sorry, Jared, but at the time of this recording, my most re- recent episode is the one with Gabe Brown on the state of the American food system. And I asked him that question. I'll ask you guys the same question. Are we, where are we in relationship to Malcolm Gladwell's mythical, whatever it is, 14 or 17% tipping point as far as regenerative agriculture adoption by actual practitioners? I think that, and and maybe the, I don't know if the fair way to look at that is number of acres. Um, hmm. I'm biased being from the West where we use more acres than than they do in Missouri and Minnesota. <laughs> but, uh, you know, in your mind, what do you guys think? What does your experience tell you as far as our proximity to the tipping point?
1: I don't feel like we're there yet, but I feel like we're on trajectory to get there. When? Uh, I don't know two, two and a half years, maybe? <laughs> just just yeah. hold that one. Just pull that one out. Predictions. Now we got predictions. This <laughs> yeah. is good. I can hold it to it. Hey, yeah. that's fine. I've no. been wrong before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, I want to circle back and kind of address your previous question, Clay, which is, you know, what are the things holding up redoption, adoption of regenerative practices? And so... I have this different perspective because I own the land that I'm managing that I work on every day. So I am all three. I'm the management unit. I'm the labor unit and I'm the ownership unit. So if ownership decides that something is in the long-term best interest of the property, I don't have to convince management to do it. And management doesn't have to explain how to labor, how, how to do it to labor. So, I think the situation that most farmers and ranchers are in is they don't own the property they're on. And when you don't own the property and you're just there, you know, paying a cash lease or a share crop lease, where's the incentive for you to take a step back in production, which means a smaller check to that landlord that doesn't live there anymore, that probably is only, that probably looks at it once a year. Okay. Okay. What's that landlord's incentive to do anything better? What's that producer's incentive to try something else? So I think that's where a lot of the disconnect happens is that, you know, the, the ownership lacks the vision to articulate it to management. That's my take.
3: Yeah, no, I, I, I think that's probably very true. Do you think that the ownership tends to lie in an older generation in the same family or is it, is, is that a smaller percentage than we might think?
1: That's an excellent question. And I don't think that we, I don't think that we know, um, you know, average age of farmers and ranchers in America just kind of keeps going up, mm-hmm. up and up and up, and up sooner or later, there's going to be some sort of demographic collapse or realignment, you know, in, in that, in our sector. And it's probably coming fairly soon. You know, look at us, you know, like, okay, I'm at top end, but you know, we're, we're that 35 to 45 age bracket, you know, some of you guys are on the, on the left side, a little (laughs) further to the right, but that's okay. Um, Jared, are you even in your thirties? Yeah, I was
0: gonna say uh, I don't think Jared's even not in this <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, you <No. laughs> Twenty-nine. Yeah. Oh jeez.
3: Man. I thought it's calling so. me out on my youth and I inexperience so. here. <laughs> so okay. I'm I'm 38. I'll be 39 in June. Jason, where are you at? I just turned 39. Okay. I mm-hmm. thought we were pretty close. Yeah. And Brian just, Brian's the ageless wonder. Yes. military yes. service will do that for a guy.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, the, it's the miles, not the years. <laughs> I uh, just last week we I uh, did Soil Health U in uh, Salina, Kansas, and I had you know some of my friends and previous guests on my podcast came up. We did a panel on the last day. Well, we got to there was a group we we're kind of you know one group was going to eat Italian, and we we're like, no, we're not going to go carb load. And I was like, how about sushi and. Several people were like, yes, let's go to sushi. So it ended up me and four young ladies and another couple of guys. And, you know, some other folks kind of showed up along the way. And, you know, we had a room at the sushi house. Um, but the point is, nothing make you feel old by hanging out with a bunch of 25 to 28 year olds all night and listen to them talk. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah. For sure. Sorry, Brian, I interrupted you. You were you were going somewhere talking about our our age.
1: <laughs> uh, I don't know where that was going. So. Okay, that's
3: all right. <laughs> I've, yeah, that was rude. Well, but I
2: don't remember either. And so I'll I'll kind of to partially answer that question and stuff too, or at least the things that I think. I don't know if this is realistic or if it's different in crop country versus other places and stuff too. It it seems. In my area, what I've seen a lot of, too, that really frustrates me is certain individuals and organizations that almost uh, make out the large farmers or the commodity farmers to be the bad guys and almost the problem. And I think that that, for a lot of people, has now given a black eye to all of soil health practitioners to where soil health comes in they say, oh, you're associated with this person who you know, tried to stop me and sue me when I tried to expand my dairy operation, or you're the person you're associated. And and there's really no connection. But a lot of their soil health individuals and organizations in this area that have been actively, uh, you know, fighting against large scale commodity agriculture, which I don't know, you, you don't have to agree or disagree with the the actual business model, that's fine. But they've now made them out to be the bad people and has given a black eye to the whole soil health industry. And as a kind of working for the sustainable farming association, doing some of the soil health stuff, it seems like I've, I've had people say, Oh, you're, you're like this organization. And and, and that gets kind of frustrating and a bummer because it doesn't have to have, you know, soil health practices and regenerative agriculture and can be applied on in any form of farm, any, you know, confinement, dairy, hog, large scale crop, large scale, beef, you know, or small, small scale too. I mean, it's applicable everywhere and it's by kind of segregating out these large farmers as the bad guys, we're missing an opportunity to make huge landscape change, which is frustrating because they control a vast amount of the land, which is a huge opportunity. <laughs> but maybe that's just my
0: area or one perspective. No, and, but- and I think that you're onto something and I, I agree to an extent I and as far as the practices go. Um, I think there's a real, um, I think there's a real purism problem, if you will. Um, you know, we, we get into like, Oh, and I, and I this might be just a more of a personal struggle myself, um, as to like, Oh, well, how regenerative are you? You know, that, that kind of, that kind of mindset there. And in, in, in my Brian, I think you said this to me one time um, and, and somebody else may have said it to you or something uh, where soil health is a journey. Um, and it, and it is, I mean, it's, we're all on different parts of that journey. And I think not the, not, that's not the question that we should be asking is like, how regenerative are you? It's where are you compared to where you were this time last year? Or, mm-hmm. you know, some is better than none, you know, that type of thing. And, you know, we talk, uh, I'm going to be another regenerative ag podcast is, is, uh, August horseman who's mm-hmm. in clay's terms would be considered a neighbor, you know, we're in Missouri. So we're neighbors are neighbors are closer together, uh, but he's, <laughs> he's about 20 minutes away from me and he's become a really good friend of mine. And, uh, we are, I know that's something we're going to talk about is, is, is what purism, how it can really be detrimental to to growth as we 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 focus so much on how we aren't performing instead of you know where we've come from um at least that's a big struggle of mine
3: yeah, yeah so what are we how can we how can we solve that the land holding issue like so I had a, a podcast recently with uh, Zach Smith who pitched some ideas about fixing the farm bill and some pretty controversial ideas. But basically he said, you know, you can't, you aren't eligible for programs. uh, And as a, as a landowner, your land isn't eligible, eligible for programs unless you're adopting some of these practices. And I, I'm always a fan of solutions that don't involve the stick (laughs) of the government. Um, (laughs) But I understand what he's saying too. You know, and what we came up with is that this isn't a this isn't a stick; it's just a carrot with a hurdle. Like, there's a carrot, but you got to go over this hurdle to get it. And so, you you know, maybe that's semantics or whatever. But I, is there a non-government? I mean, maybe it's just the slow march through the institutions, which was a communist thing. But uh, maybe <laughs> maybe maybe that's the I don't know. What do you guys think?
1: I think that the four of us have like four very very different context as far as you know what's around us and what regenerative looks like and what and what the typical ranch is so you know i i'm here in the red hills on a very small piece of the of the native prairie remnant right and that that's different from a situation where you know i'd be maybe in missouri and next to jason and have some crop fields and have a couple pastures of planted grasses you know it's next to, it's, you know, a lot different from Jared that has to deal with two or three feet of snow or, or more like he's laughing <laughs> at two, three feet of snow. Oh, that's <laughs> what we've got right now. You're right on. No, <laughs> oh, geez. And you know, Clay, I know you have, you know, you have your own management challenges in your context as well. And one of the things that I've kind of learned in doing, you know, roughly a hundred or so episodes is regenerative looks different for everybody. And it's hard to talk about a goal, but it's, you know, I think that more people are starting on the journey and maybe it is a practice change, but I think that the, you know, what does regenerative look like? It's so difficult to nail down because it's so it's contextual. It has to be contextually appropriate.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. You know, I think that understanding ag knocked it out of the park when they added that sixth principle of soil health of context. Because, I mean, not only your context, what works where you're at, but also what has been done to the land that you're on. Because that's going to color your your strategy starting out for sure. <laughs>
2: Uh, the, I I agree the context is so important to consider, but I've also seen context used almost as a scapegoat of like, well, yeah, sure, grazing is great for the land, but I'm in northern Minnesota where it's cold, so grazing doesn't make sense here. <laughs> we have winter so I'm just going to ra- raise corn and soybeans. Or context, I have this really productive soil, so I don't have to worry about you know all of my you know maintaining my topsoil. I've got two feet of it or something like that. It can almost be a scapegoat in, in two, but when used wrong it's it definitely is valuable to, to just to consider your context and it, and if you're set on you almost have to first as an individual determine that you are going to implement soil health principles you are going to manage your land to the best that you can and then use context to help figure out what that is but it seems like a lot of people who maybe come to these things who aren't all bought in and say well context well yeah my context doesn't really work with all this stuff. You use context as the way to not apply a practice because you're trying to pick the wrong practice for your context, (laughs) as opposed to using context to
1: pick the right practice Mm. for your context. And they're looking for a magic bullet. They're looking for the easy magic bullet answer.
3: But that's what they've been sold
1: by big egg for how how many years?
2: Well, Uh, post-World War II? II. Yeah. One of your questions earlier about education, I mean, where are people getting their education? It's kind of frustrating how much of our information I I get frustrated when I go to like these U of M cow calf days is what they have, or like the different local kind of things that we put on, or I'm on our local cattleman's board. And when they talk about, well, we just need to get maybe a feed salesmen to come and talk to us. And it's like, <laughs> why are we, we're hosting an educational event and there's vets selling us on the next whatever program and and vaccination program. And there's, uh, and, and, and vets coming to talk to us about how to calve in January and stuff. And there's salesmen's trying to sell us, uh, you know, creep feed and everything to get the more pounds out of it. And it's like, let's look, that's what I think the value of these podcasts are is that, you know, we're, mm-hmm. I'm not getting anything from my listener as far as they're not paying, I'm not selling anything. (laughs) I'm, you know, I, I'd be lying if i in full disclosure, we raise bulls for feral cattle company. So I'm not trying to like hide that. We definitely have some things that we're marketing, but the vast majority of my podcast is not at any relation to feral cattle company. It's just talking to people who are doing things differently and uh, and sharing that experience. And so if we can, Yeah. I think a lot of it's just going to start with, and that, well, I do think we're making a big difference. Amazing. I I imagine you all are getting people reaching out to you as well saying, you know, I'm excited about what I'm hearing. Like, this is cool. (laughs) Like hope that they never thought was possible and stuff that they hear on these podcasts. That's what it takes. And hopefully then they can dig into the, the other resources out there. The more, uh, the more expertise than, than we can offer in a one hour
1: call with somebody else, you know? So I think some of the some of the favorite interactions I've had with fans. Um, one of them I actually had on my podcast, Jared Curse. Um uh, He started listening because he was looking for some content on Bitcoin, and just like he said, I just got ate up with Regenerative. Just had to do it. And I met him uh, in person at in Denver at Regenerate. We talked for a while, got to know him a little bit. I was like, dude, we should do a podcast. And he's like, about what? And I said just get on, tell your story. You sure that you sure that like, yeah, don't worry about it. It'd be fine. Yeah. And I think that, you know, meeting those people and, and getting their stories and it doesn't matter if you've been doing regenerative, regenerative ag, soil health stuff for six months or 16 years. Like I'm, I'm kind of over people trying to one up each other about, well, I've been mm-hmm. doing regenerative ag since 1989. Like, mm-hmm. Nobody called it regenerative Ag in 1989. What are you talking about? Like, what are what are you even saying? But I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is, uh, I don't know where I'm getting at, and I do that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> it was good though. I I appreciated going with
3: you as far. Yeah, tonight. I was
1: I was captivated
3: for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Take you to this well, other other wonderful place. Forget where I'm going, and now <laughs> that's where we. You are. know what
3: we call that? We call that being in the hereafter. We get where we were going, and we were like, "What was I hereafter?"
1: why am i here why did i walk into this room oh there's my coffee cup
3: (laughs) i wasn't here for my coffee cup but i'm glad i found it where i left it last (laughs) yeah
1: that's where you usually find stuff the last place you look yep
3: (laughs) i'm curious
2: for you guys as all of you guys listen to a lot of podcasts too i don't know I don't even find myself so much listening now for the specific ideas. It, it seems like every now and then an episode, I will, I'll hear something. Like, oh, I never thought of that. That's brilliant. But I don't know. For most of it, it's almost like going just for the reinforcement of the ideas that I have a real reminder that you're not alone. Uh, just the excitement. And to, to hear the stories I've it, that uh, people being successful is the motivation to keep going and not even, not for the specifics anyway, uh, it, seems like to me i don't know where you guys fall in that
0: when you're listening yeah listening and and podcasting myself it's like yeah. people come on to the podcast and they're like like brian said like, what are we going to talk about And like hmm, we'll talk you know there's no you know there's no there's no rules you know that's the beauty part about podcasting versus like live radio or something there's no point to be made we're just going to go have a conversation and um And like you say, that reinforcement of ideas is really powerful because um, it's like you say, anymore, it's like you don't, every once in a while you come across, well, man, that's, that's like, that's totally out there in left field and really cool, something to explore. But a lot of things are reinforcement of, of truths we already know. And I think that's, I think that's really powerful. And, you know, no matter the more times you, hear, I mean, how many times does something really stick? The first, second, third time you hear it, not. I mean, for me, I'm way too dumb for it to stick so early. So, I mean, it takes that many times for something to really yeah. take hold. So, um, so yeah, I, as far as as far as that's concerned, I I think it's really important to you know keep having those, keep hearing and and having sometimes it seems like the same conversation over but um but maybe in different to use the word again context
3: and i think that you know it's a lot of times it's not that it was something different that was said it's the same content but it's said with a in a different way that connects with you you know mm-hmm. and that's why we like you don't get offended that somebody catches it when they hear it from somebody else rather than hearing it from you because that's just the way their mind is wired and you can't possibly communicate it in a way that's going to connect with everybody. And so that's one of the things that I think sets podcasting apart. Like you said, Jason, from, from radio is I've almost every podcast you listen to, you know, and let's get the language right, people. A podcast is a production. An episode is an individual uh, piece of that production. Every podcast you listen to, the host will say, we need more podcasts, you know, and I I, I started saying that early on because I heard everybody else who was a podcaster say it. We need more cow-focused regenerative agriculture podcasts, and the wish is starting to come true, but, you know, uh, early adopters like Brian and and Jared and Jason uh, were a big part of that. But it's, we need more people to say it with their voice because their voice is going to connect with a different audience than my voice or Brian's or Jared's or Jason's.
0: And it's funny that you say, again, going back to like live radio, live TV, did you guys see the time when Will Harris was on Fox News? Mm hmm and it's just such a terrible representation of what he is all about. And, um, and, and that's, that's what that's, that's where podcasting, you know, absolutely takes that takes the, oh, we got to get this point made in, in this amount of time. And there's none of that in podcasting. I think that's something that makes it really unique and special. And really my favorite part about it is there's I'm not a rules person. I don't like rules at all. So uh, that's what. There's no rules to podcasting, and that's that's probably why I like it so much.
3: That Will Harris interview just made me wonder how much money uh, Stuart Varney owes Bill Gates. That's all I wondered about. that. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) No kidding. To watch, I haven't seen that. So Uh, it's 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 actually pretty infuriating to to be to be honest, you know. And Hmm. there is uh, you'll just have to watch it because it's just.
3: Listen to just Not, listen to will on Joe
1: Rogan first then go watch I have that. listened to that <laughs> okay <all> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah yeah
0: yeah please do he was
1: he was excellent hmm. who yeah. listened to the bone collector the bone guy on Joe Rogan I didn't nope Me either oh you guys don't know about but <laughs> John Reeves and the, the Alaska boneyard on Rogan uh-uh. <laughs> oh okay well Maybe we'll talk about it next time, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm
3: not. I'm not homework. in defense building season yet, Brian. I, I think my podcast time is limited. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, fair enough.
1: Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um. Hmm. So I, Jason, how do we get out of our echo chamber? And I, I guess what I'm trying to ask is, how do we get out of our echo chamber and and reach and have more conversations about mental health? And I know that's a very broad Mm -hmm. and big thorny subject, but there's, you know, we see it. The four of us, we see it not on a daily basis, but often we see people in our community, other producers struggling and maybe they're, you know, maybe they're labor with a difficult ownership management situation. Maybe their ownership with, you know, an impossible management and labor task or people. So, And this is what I'm kind of challenging myself. Like, how do we get out of a regenerative ag echo chamber? And how do we reach more people with a positive message that, you know. There is light, there is not light, there is, um, you know, there's hope in agriculture. You know, there's people that are succeeding. There's people that are not sick working on the land. So I
0: think a big part of it is just having like actual adult conversations with folks this is something carrie and i carries my wife uh talk about with with just in regards to anything hard Is like you just have to sit down and have adult conversations as as hard as that i mean as simple as that might seem to say not many of us are very i mean i'm not very good at having real adult conversations with folks. And that's the really the only way that change and getting out of your echo chamber, because I don't like to argue with people that much. I mean, I know sometimes I might seem argumentative with people, but I'm really not. um, I'm actually very agreeable with people. Um, So it's, it's really hard for me to have, have conflict with people. So, and at the same time, it's also hard for me to have my beliefs kind of challenged at times too. But I think, a really, really th- something that's really strong in trying to, to talk about the hard things is you either can have your mind changed in a more, in a positive way, or you're stronger in your convictions by talking to somebody and talking out what you do with somebody and how to move forward. Um, no matter either, either way, you know, what is uh, it's one of the seven, Uh, seven habits of highly effective people is to create win-win situations. And I mean, to me, that's a win-win situation when you actually have these hard conversations and people come away with it with either a, no matter, no matter what, either what I talked about either way is, is a positive outcome. Very good. Jared, I see you thinking.
3: Uh, Wheels are turning, not much coming up well i want to go back to something that brian said earlier uh about preparing for demographic collapse Hmm. uh that is uh, i think that's very true um that that's coming so is it time for us to prepare or is it time for us to prepare the next generation what do you how do we how do we prepare by generation,
2: do you mean like this big land transfer or what you kind of? By Brian's
3: term, so we can let
2: him define. I would say the land
1: transfer. Yeah. I'd say land transfer mm-hmm. from existing absentee landowners that are like, and this is, this. I'm saying this because this is what looks like in my trailer head, right? A lot of absentee landowners that have tillage ground, tillable ground, arable farmland mm-hmm. may have a pivot on it, may just be dry land there's probably a lot of that that's going to change hands and you know, it, I'm, I'm sure every single property or every tract is going to have its own unique situation, whether it's, you know, divided interest between 67 different heirs that are everywhere. Or, you know, there's a single trustee or the guy died without a will, like every single one of them is going to be different. And it's, you know, we, we talked about, you know, that, that triad of management ownership and labor, and, you know, okay, so if somebody new wants to come in and be all three of those legs of the pot, that's a significant startup capital. Like, mm-hmm. There's farm ground in, uh, where was it, Iowa, one of the I states that was over $30,000 an acre. Like, it's just absolutely absurd. Um, I asked somebody that's familiar with, you know, what land is trading for now, what, what stuff was kind of trading for in southwest Missouri wow, I mean,
0: four or $5,000 an acre for yep. de- degraded stuff. Yeah, it doesn't take much to get $4,000 an acre around here.
1: And where yeah. I'm going with that is, like, you know, the, the economics are pretty clear. Like, it's very hard to compete in the cow-calf business. Like, it's it's been almost, it's been very difficult for quite a while to go buy a ranch in the cow-calf business or to go start up in the commodity crop space and get and you know and even get started in the commodity crop space just because of the you know high capital startup cost so i really kind of think about this coming change i don't know that the it like the economics something in the economics has to change something in the labor economics of food has to change well or land values are just going to get really screwy
2: <laughs> hmm. i don't there's so many questions I have on the land specific conversation. Anyway, I talked to, there's a realtor in my neighborhood who I've talked with. He's a member of our church and, um, he, over the last several decades, he's 60s, 70s, something like that has purchased a lot of land in this area. And he said, you know, people, my whole life have been talking about this massive land transfer. That's just around the corner. And, uh, and it just hasn't come or it does happen, but it doesn't happen out loud. It's to the next generation at death or it's sold privately between the landowner and the person who's been renting it for years. And so he says, I'm not counting on and I wouldn't recommend anybody count on that waiting for this big land transfer, which I don't know. He could be totally wrong. That's one person, one story. But it's an interesting thought anyway. And I think about my Dad, how many times I've driven, he says, Well, I remember when I was looking for my first farm and this one was for sale, and that one was for sale, and that one was for sale. And now today it seems like there's one property for sale a year, anywhere close, (laughs) and it's crazy expensive. And so I don't even, I don't know if this big land transfer will happen. It won't, if it, it will happen. I mean, yeah, the majority of the land and the wealth is owned by people, but it'll probably be quietly to an heir or to the renter or something like that over time. Um, and I don't know. Uh, yeah, I would love to see some more opportunities come for land. And if they're going to be at prices that they are today, <laughs> uh, commodity agriculture isn't going to buy it. It's going to be some th- sort of specialized egg production or, off farm income more than yeah. likely.
0: Yeah. I mean, for us being, you know, I'm not sure if this is where we're going with this or not, but I mean, I guess this is where I'm taking it. Um, <laughs> there are no here, rules. <laughs> right. Exactly. <That's> right. Yeah. <laughs> but where a, a big struggle for us is like you say, that is they're not even absentee landowners. They are landowners who move from the city who just, they, they fall in love with the idea of of in our case ranching farming, um, and they are going to try and they're going to take all the money that they have and try to buy that concept or buy that image of what it looks like. And it makes it makes trying to be a profitable fr- profitable enterprise very hard. In where you're when you're where you're surrounded by I mean, we're less than a hundred miles from St. Louis. So it's very easy for people to move out here and, you know, trying to compete with, for, for purchasing land with those, that type of uh, that type of land buyer is, is really hard. And um, I mean, virtually impossible to make, especially a cow calf operation um, even make, even make sense, even, even allow it to lose money. You know what I mean? Um so it's uh, it, that's a, it's just another type of, not to just focus on what's all what's wrong, but I mean, just another challenge that we're up against.
3: But it seems like the people, the successful people I've talked to, many of them share the same uh, element to their story when they were young is that they bought land when everybody thought they were crazy to buy it at the price they mm-hmm. bought it at. So, mm-hmm. I mean, are we just the newest version of that? Like, well, you're crazy to pay that. But then you, you know, is it just, I always say, when, for me personally, speaking for myself, not anybody else, but I always say I'm just I'm just too dumb to quit. You know, I think <laughs> that's part of what success is, is just being too dumb to quit. Maybe that's just for me. Maybe other people have actual skills and talents and abilities that make them able to be successful apart from that. But is that what it takes? Or is this really beyond the pale of I can buy land even though everybody thinks I'm crazy and I can make it work.
1: I think there's I think when land does start to trade, and whether you know we do see a mass land trade, you know, demographic, you know, demographic shift in land ownership, whether we notice it or not, the thing that I'm worried about is you know there's there's a lot of groups seeing farmland as farmland, ranch land as a s as a quote, safe investment against, you know, whatever double-digit percentage inflation we're having this week. (laughs) So they come in and they drive up, you know, they drive up tax basis for everybody else that's trying to make an honest living that maybe Hoosier Ranch hasn't changed hands in, you know, four or five generations or two. They drive up tax basis. You know, you'll have... And and so the danger with that is, is you're going to have, you know, we could end up with a lot of, you know, investment groups buying up land corporations buying up land and that goes back to my argument about you know management of the land being totally separated from the goals of ownership or ownership not being able to clearly articulate goals for the land to management and you know if if we are moving towards a a different ownership model i i mean i have i have some i have some thoughts about that um I'll call back to something that Don Schiffelbein said on, on my podcast, that private land ownership is, is the bedrock of, of land stewardship. I mean, if we didn't have people that were out on the land that cared for it every day, that loved the land, you know, we wouldn't, you know, we would all be degraded to some extent. I challenge that because, you know, maybe there's folks that call themselves conservationists that don't quite know what they're supposed to be conserving. Um, (laughs) But if we're if we're moving away from a private land ownership model and towards a, you know, a shared ownership model, what does that mean for the long term stewardship?
2: Well, I I think it's true. You probably never manage and love land as much as the land you own yourself or is, has some sort of a family tie. But one thing that I am a firm believer in, and something that I think is super cool about this whole regenerative movement, anyway, is that. Uh, building soil and regeneration is not counterproductive to profitability. I mean, they go hand in hand. And so as a manager of land owned or rented, uh, you're incentivized to manage it well with regenerative practices for your own bottom line. It's kind of a neat thing. I feel like so many people think, you know, it's great. I'd love to manage my land better, but I need to make payments. Or man, I need to yeah. I need to pay the bills. But there's it doesn't have to be Either or, they, they go right alongside
0: each other. We're just so focused. People, are, you know, and this is kind of taking in a different direction. You know, you, you're you just, they're so focused on production rather than ROI. And I, I find that's really disturbing that we, we've, you know, in the cattle industry, what is, like, what is the, or especially in the cow-calf industry, what's the number one thing we look at? And it seems like it's wean weights because, you know, that's the thing we can point to. Hey, this is what my calves weighed at weaning time. Mine are better, or yours are better than mine, or whatever. You know what I mean. Um, but like, it's just you're missing so much of the picture there. And I, I don't think when when you really get, like you say, Jared, when you get really get down to it, I mean, profitability and and soil health go they go hand in hand. I mean, they're almost almost so cl- they're so close. They're almost the same thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think we could all point to dozens of conversations we've had with people on our podcast. I just interviewed this morning Alejandro Carrillo and what he's done on his place in the Chihuahua Desert with this management, uh, currently tripling his stocking rate. And his goal is 10Xing what his original stocking rate on his place was uh, through management. I mean, there's just no. I mean, it just makes perfect sense. That's financially viable. So why wouldn't we do it? And there's, like I say, dozens more that each of us could point to of people who have done these practices and seen tremendous financial benefit. And that to me is going to be one of a lot of the questions we've asked anyway, how we, how we continue to push regenerative agriculture forward as people have a greater understanding of the finance, the financials will do it, anything that long-term and it, it will, it will do it. And then, uh, Um, that'll also, I think help has this, there's this land transfer, however it is, if at more towards leased land movement, more towards leased land, um, I would guess that non-operating owners of land would want to see their land managed better. Um, and so they'll start making farmers do it even if they Mm -hmm. maybe wouldn't have, uh, otherwise just because they're coming from a lot of folks in the city have a land management ethic that it is pretty high whether they really know what that means or not who knows but they 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 want to see it well managed
0: mm-hmm. yeah but i mean really the one thing that's going to get it happen is to get a bunch of farmers together and get them a free meal and some free hats that's sure. really the only thing that's going to make it work yeah yeah <laughs>
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, I to kind of tag on to what you know the discussion about you know bullseyes and what what performance metrics we're using to measure, right? And you know, you guys threw one out about weaning weight, like, and I think that Dallas likes to change that around about uh pounds weaned per cow exposed. Okay, I get that, and something else they love to love to say in that school that shall not be named is. It's no good hitting bullseyes if you're aiming at the wrong target, and I I think that's kind of where we're at with a lot of ag. Is there's a lot of producers that are aiming at the wrong target that ownership and management has given them.
0: Yeah, and to to put a little bit, I mean, kind of my role in this whole deal is the people aspect and the mental health aspect of it. You know, how frustrating is it and 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 mentally taxing is it to keep chasing those wrong types of bullseyes um how just it you want to talk about sustainability and 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 regenerability. is that regenerability a word um i think it i think will winter's
3: no. word is regenerativity but <laughs> <laughs> i'm pretty sure he made that
0: one up too so i like it <laughs> but you know a key factor to that is you know is the human aspect of it and the human um you know how much time and how much energy you're putting into it. And to keep chasing those, those bloated and artificial numbers is, is mentally taxing. So to ta- step back away from that, I know for, I mean, that's, that's talking from experience here um, is so liberating. And, you know, whenever you are, whenever you're enjoying what you do more, the possibilities are endless. And I
3: think it's more attractive to the next generation, which also helps with the demographic collapse.
2: Yes. And one thought that I just, and I'm going to kind of think it through as I talk it here. So forgive me if it doesn't make the most sense, but kind of to Brian's question about what is going to be this impact of people of of moving more towards a a rented, maybe agriculture system as opposed to an owned, if that's the way it goes. Um, What'll be interesting is I would say that for so many farms, they've been subsidized by owned land and equity that they they had cash flow, but they didn't have profit because they never had to have profit because they had the cash flow from the, the land equity and the rent. And so if we move to a business where the vast majority of your land base is rented, that will force you to be more profitable because you don't have that that equity to fall back on or that free land rent and stuff. So that'll be interesting to see. I mean, at that point then not only will businesses or farms, if you if hobbies or whatever, will these farms not be able to just carry on because, you know, well, granddad had 500 acres paid for and stuff. They'll, they'll be forced to operate
3: and stand on their own two feet. I think that, the, I mean, it is that a scary thing though, <laughs> that those, <laughs> that those rented lands to me, those, those rented lands will probably be owned by large corporations, I would guess, given the prices that we're going to look at, you know? And so is that, is that better than where we're at now? You know, I guess in your mind and, and yeah, I think they're going to, their driving force is going to probably be some, something like carbon credits, but who knows if that's ever going to materialize. So I, I don't know. Is that, is that the way you see that playing out? I don't know if it's better or worse. Uh, I would say, you know, I would
2: prefer to have more local land ownership. The better or worse is it's more so what's reality. And, and it seems like not necessarily just corporations or anything too, but the larger farms that do have a tremendous amount of equity are the ones that are buying it and stuff too. The, the larger scaled farms and it better or worse. Doesn't matter. It's just where it's going. So um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. What do you, you guys think, Brian? I see you're thinking. So,
1: well, it, it's funny you brought up carbon because there's there's some producers that are at least on their second round of of a second year of a carbon program and like getting checks. And there's there's a part of me that kind of looks at the whole you know tillage commodity system that's well established, well researched, and it's you know. You can go to, you can go to university, learn, you know, university of Illinois, learn how to grow corn at the, you know, at the Bayer Monsanto Institute of corn. And you go buy some farm ground and I'm sure, you know, you can pencil that out over 30 years, how much you're going to spend on combine, how much you're going to spend on fuel, how much you're going to pay the guy doing it, how much the investment's going to be worth at the end. And I, I kind of feel like we're, we're not dealing with, with stupid big money companies like you know oil majors okay these people are not dumb like shell does not have 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 unintelligent people working for them on their carbon problem like there's a part of me that thinks that you know there's some big emitters or there's some big head funds that are just waiting to figure out how they can still grow corn in a tillage system and sequester carbon like because it's all the mechanical capture, things that keep coming out for carbon like they're really expensive you know 50 60 dollars a ton and compared to the price you know compared to what good practices do to the land that store carbon it's like you know you do these things to improve your ranch and then suddenly carbon checks start showing up well that's awful neat <laughs> but i'm worried about you know big corporations coming in and locking up and, and figuring out how to kind of game that system Does that make sense? And when that money shows up, you better have your position.
2: That's my, I get frustrated and concerned with the whole carbon credit system just because it seems like everybody, you know, the idea behind it is the goal is to sequester carbon, but every player in it, their goal is not necessarily to sequester carbon. The farmer is trying to figure out how can I make more money? the guy buying the credit is trying to figure out how can I look better to my customers and the guy in the middle is trying to make money on both yeah. ends. Nobody's actually trying to figure out how to, I actually sequester carbon and, and it's just kind of, I don't know, because of that, I worry about the, like you're saying, well, they find a way to just game the system. I mean, I see so many of these are based on just practices again, um, you know, plant a cover crop. Well, if you plant it after you finish harvest in the, and middle to end of November and you till it under in the spring before, you know, right away before it ever really starts germinating. Have you really made any progress, but you got paid because you did a practice like the carbon credit thing has potential. And I like the idea of some sort of a free market solution where, you know, companies are paying and farmers are being paid as you know, outside of the government. But I, I get worried about its uh, effectiveness potential.
1: We're not seeing carbon, carbon programs for a lot of, for tillage ground, like you just described, you know, the, yeah, they're practice based. And, you know, there's some companies kind of in the space trying to push those programs. And I get it. I get it because, you know, of, of who their audience is and, and the way their audience needs, you know, they want a magic bullet. Right. But w- like we've already discussed this, you know, it's not a magic bullet because regenerative agriculture, like, you know, yes, it's a journey it's also not practices. It's not a system. You know, it's a shift in... It's a whole shift in mindset. And what they're running into is, like, they want to measure the corn, like, every year right before harvest so they can, you know, have this really inflated carbon number and then till it up to go plant cover crops. Well, as soon as you till the soil, that carbon gets released. So how are we going to account for that? And I think that's where they're that's where they're hung up is because any amount of tillage releases almost all that carbon that was stored. You know, I've seen graphics that uh, infographics that have been put out about like, you know, how much how much CO2 the Corn Belt absorbs and how much oxygen they produce and, you know, what that looks like for one day out of the year. But that's not taking into account what that cornfield looks like for the other, you know, seven or eight months out of the year when it's fallow and bare or what that, you know, that winter wheat field around here looks like for six months out of the year. That's not taking those things into account. And I think that, you know, when they start looking at, you know, per, you know things like permanence, like how long can this credit be stored in this ground? Well, it can't be tilled. So that kind of I think that's where the disconnect is. I think that's that's what they're trying to figure out.
3: That's the barrier
1: between um, wider use of carbon credits, do you think? I, I think that's one of the things that's holding up, holding it up right now in the space that and like there's, there's no real official carbon market. There's no real official government guidance, you know, on, on what carbon credits are or how they may be bought, sold, traded or what they actually represent. I mean, it's, it's kind of, I say it's kind of a wild West. I say it's kind of a gold rush and I think. You know, both those statements are kind of philosophically true. And if I think of, if you think about, you know, carbon markets blowing wide open in the next couple of years in terms of a gold rush, who gets rich in a gold rush? I mean, a pioneers catch all the arrows. It's usually maybe a couple people at the front that find the big strike. Then miners flood the area and the rest of the wealth is generated by people mining the miners
3: and and by mining the miners are you saying people who come into the boom town and set up their shop and sell things to them?
1: Yes. Like I don't want to be the guy out prospecting for gold, I want to be the guy in town selling shovels and pans. <laughs> so, but
3: that that's pretty much what um agriculture's been for the last 40 years or since World War II, right? Yeah. Is the the profitability and the and the lion's share of the money has gone to ag business?
1: And I'll accept that. Like I'll I'll totally accept that. That's just you know kind of taken over for you know some of the people that show up in the yard in brand new pickups and try to sell you crap. Like I I get that. I recognize that.
3: Yep. Yeah, no. I, and I'm not saying that's it's right, wrong, or indifferent. I'm just saying that's basically where we've been too. Right? I mean, <laughs> in my mm-hmm.
1: understanding. You know I I'm. Sometimes I'm kind of okay getting screwed as long as you tell me how you're screwing me. <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> well,
1: and I think it's the
3: nature of the world, right? <laughs> I think in 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 a, in a world designed by God, these things, this is how those things play out. <laughs> you know, the, the free market system is a way, the best way, the least violent way to allocate scarce resources. And so mm. we are going to, Kind of have to default back to this system, uh, in in some way. And so there's
1: plenty of chili in the pot. Yes. And we just need to be better about letting other folks have a little taste. And well, I don't know don't
2: want to get to upsetting people and stuff too, but I do think that most operations have the potential to generate pretty incredible profit. I mean, there's a reason we talk about the ranching for profit school so much. It comes up so many times is because people go to it. They learn some pretty awesome things that they make differences in their business that change the game. Um, And some of them are pretty simple things like reducing overhead. It's amazing how many people with a small amount of cattle or whatever, how much, how many dollars in equipment I see, you know, tied up in an enterprise relatively small that's completely a decision made by an individual. It has nothing to do with John Deere screwing you out of, you know, something mm-hmm. or the salesman selling you. I mean, it you made the decision. We made the decision to buy a hundred and seventy five thousand dollar tractor to feed forty cows or, or something like that. I mean, that's a decision. It's not the cow calf. There's no money in cows. It's it's decisions. And so mm. I mean, I yeah. I don't know. But I I'm a I guess a believer in personal responsibility and owning our decisions. And that's fine either,
3: either way, but kind of back. How, d- how you know, dare you?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. I stirred the pot. <laughs> no, that's awesome. I
3: think that's totally, that's, you hit the nail on the head. It is ultimately, you were the one who signed the on the dotted line. Yep. Um, as far as whatever input or equipment you use, it's ultimately comes down to you.
1: I got it. I get a little Dave Pratt quote, a little Dave <laughs> Pratt story. So this is 2006. First time I went to RFP. Pretty sure it was toward the end of, or maybe it was like in the middle of economics day. This guy stands up and Dave Pratt was my instructor for this one. And this guy stands up and he asks like this five minute question. Like, it, like, like, I'm sure you guys know that the archetype I'm talking about, they ask this hyper specific question that if they just change one or two things of the details that they said, they wouldn't have this problem. Right. I mean, you get what I'm talking about. So this guy has this like hyper specific question. That's, you know, he's going through excuse and justification and whatever. And he gets to the end and Dave says, are you sure you should own cows?
3: <laughs>
1: and this guy was just like, I mean, he was gutted. And I think that that's the most important. That's one of the most important things that gets people messed up at ranching for profit is the. Well, why do you ranch? Why do you do what you do?
3: Hmm. I've, well, got, and, I've got I've got some notes here that I'll go on when when if if nobody else has anything when Jason's done.
0: Well, I mean, it, again, it goes back to that human element of. You know this is how I always seem to spin on things is you have to have a, you have to have a reason for why you're doing things. Otherwise you're just, you know, you're, 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 you're a hamster on a wheel. And you know, he brings up a really good point. And when we say, why are you doing what you do? And, and for some time, for some people it it is they're enjoying the lifestyle or they're enjoying raising their kids. To, that's me to a certain extent. Um, but you, but you, need to. Re- but it's like you said earlier, you need to recognize that from the very beginning. You need to recognize you know, what you actually and en- find out what you actually enjoy about what you're doing and do that. I mean, it's, we, make all, we make things so complicated so often uh, when, in fact, it really doesn't need to be complicated. Just you know, try to figure out how to make a little money to doing things that you enjoy and you'll be happy. I mean, it sounds very oversimplified, but I mean, it, is, is it really,
3: though? Not oversimplified, no.
2: It's a good question that I've wondered about, too, is like like you say, you find something you really enjoy, they make a little bit of money, too. This talk on profit is not saying that it's wrong to not be truly profitable in the ranching-for-profit way, uh, that it's okay to just have enough and to – you know, live off the equity in your land and and equity in your cattle essentially but work for free you generate enough cash flow to make a, have a good living and enjoy what you do there's nothing wrong with that And it's kind of a question i've wondered and is about around this idea of enough and does something change when you have enough does at, at that point now like does the when you when you have enough cash flow whatever that is uh $80,000 a year you, you you now you're set for life you could enjoy your lifestyle for however long does your goals on how you manage your business and operate your business change at that point? I don't know. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't reached that yet, so I don't have the answer, but I'm curious. That's something I've wondered is I, I have figured even just for myself anyway, that I have too much of a mindset on focusing on profit sometimes and, and growth and building something. And it's like, is that dangerous? Uh,
3: you know, you see a lot of, I don't know, it's dangerous The Yeah. I think that's a character question. Mm. Success won't change who you are. It will just make you more of who you are. You know? And so I think that if you, if you are generous with a a little of what you have, (laughs) when you, if you are successful, you'll be more generous with that. And, and I think that, that we have to, you know, you have to decide like what standard of living you are going to have. And then, beyond that you know the world is your oyster as far as places to give money away with (laughs) in Mm -hmm. some you know if that's your goal
0: sorry i just had a visitor (laughs) (laughs) he came came in and he was like you he he realized i was doing a podcast and he looked at me he like had this look of horror on his face like
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh (laughs) crap did he just ruin it yeah no worries editing Yeah, don't worry, we'll fix it in
3: post. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. and then not, and then not fix it in post. That's the best. Then not fix it. I love it. Yeah, I love that. Glad I'm not the only one that does that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So, I think this is a connected conversation, and and it's because I'm going to talk to a bunch of FFA kids in in a week or two, Um, probably about the time this comes out, actually. But, uh, what? How do we talk to the next generation then? You know, I mean, this whole conversation really has been about, you know, what land ownership is going to look like in the future and and the, the factors affecting that. So how do we talk to the next generation uh, about preparing themselves to succeed in, in agriculture? Well,
2: since y'all have already pointed out my youth, I'll listen to your wise wisdom, <laughs> oh, elders
3: and experienced folks on this one. That means Brian has to start. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So I the concept that's kind of in my head is, you know, you, you have your book of, of life, book of the ranch, book of the career. Okay. And that's in three parts. I'm in the middle of my book. Okay. Jared, Jason, you guys are probably still, you know, in the first, you're, you guys are still in part one. You're still writing the first part of your book. My dad he's writing the last few pages of the last chapter to be continued, to be continued, to be continued. Like, and and that's not saying that he's not in good health. That's just saying like, that's the phase of life that, you know, those are kind of the phases of life that we go through. And being being kind of still in the middle of my story, you know, I've started to realize that you know, yeah, I am in the middle of my story and I do need to start figuring it out. And we've kind of got that on a timeline to start, you know, some milestones to start figuring out succession planning. And it's a challenge. Like, it's a huge challenge. You know, we talk about how to get people back to the farm all the time on, on all all four of these podcasts. And the common theme, it's got to be profitable. So we got to figure, we got to keep innovating. We got to keep moving forward and trying to do more with less, faced with ever increasing cost of doing business. You know, I don't think we're ever we'll ever see three dollar diesel again. Be awful nice. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of us that are driving diesel pickups that are going, that are feeling that pain. But you got to do what you got to do. So as it, one story does bring me a lot of hope, and my friend Jay Young, uh, when we were up at Salina. He said in a room full of people, he said that he has made his farm in northwest Kansas by using regenerative principles. He's made his farm so profitable that he can afford to farm less acres and still make a living. So what he's thinking about doing is letting another young farmer come in on some of those acres that he doesn't need to make a living and get started farming. So maybe that's where we start. I think that's a wonderful concept, and maybe that's a good place to start.
0: I think that's a really incredible uh thing that he's doing because you know we talk about that's one of the biggest you know, one of the biggest barriers is startup capital. And you know, to have someone who can and I, I've heard stories very similar to to this, and it's it's always just it's always just so fascinating to me when somebody can do something like that because uh, it it truly shows they care about it going on you know they care about the tradition they care about um they care about the land enough to allow somebody who's eager enough to and willing enough to come in and do the same type of work uh, is that's 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 i think that's very honorable and very motivating to to do and i think that's um Again, we talk about grassroots level of of making things work, and I think that's probably the ultimate way. Um, for me, it, it, again, it goes back. First thing is it has to be profitable, right? We talk about that all the time, um, but it, it it also has to be we have to enjoy it too. I mean, we have to do it. And I remember so many times, not so much my dad, but my brother, my one brother. <laughs> I doubt he'll listen to this but anyway. He yelled at me all the time. I got yelled at all the time. Everything was always my fault. And it was no wonder I didn't want to continue with it. I mean, I I, I hated it for a time. Like I had no business, I had no interest in coming back to to the operation whatsoever. Um and then like there was a time where I realized, man, I'm becoming that guy with my my own kids. Um, I was like, gosh, how how awful is that? And, you know, just changing our mindset about how we work and how we work with the younger generation. I don't get me wrong. I lose my temper with my kids plenty. Um, but, but trying to, to rein that in and like understand why we're here and understand that I want them to enjoy this enough that they may want to do it like I did someday. Um, That's really a huge motivating factor for me. And again, that's on a very small and specific scale to me, but I mean, that's, that's what I have control over.
3: Mm. Yeah. And I think that again, back to that personal responsibility thing, that's all we can do, right? (laughs) Is, Mm -hmm. is take control of what we have control over. And then I think the, the power of these platforms is, is sharing those ideas with other people. And inviting them to take control over what they have control over. And, you know, I hope it's not just the same 15 people listening to each one of our episodes that we have some, some uh, there, it's just not a one circle. I hope there's four circles in that Venn diagram and there's some overlap in all of them, but there's more people out there listening and starting to make changes.
0: Hey, you have 15
3: <laughs> I was gonna say that since I'm my way <laughs> no. yeah yeah but like eight of them are have the same last name as me <laughs> <Right>. I download <laughs> yeah. I download it on my phone
1: and my wife's phone
3: so that's good
1: <laughs> well, yeah. that's fair I, I download on my on my phone and on my iPad yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah well I'm obviously that want to Clay's question was like, what
2: do we tell the younger generation and stuff? I'm still in that younger generation and trying to figure out a lot of this stuff myself, uh, like you mentioned. But one of the coolest things that I would say has come out of this podcast, kind of like I mentioned earlier, why I'm doing it is not necessarily for the specific ideas, but for the motivation and the encouragement. How many people that I've had the opportunity to talk to who are starting from nothing and have built something still today is proof that there's no reason anybody can't uh so if this is something somebody wants to do get seek out the right education and the right information from the right people in the right places uh seek out the wisdom of those with you know who are doing what you want to do but uh then go make it happen and it might not be in your neighborhood that's one thing i would say is you know i wouldn't say as a I don't want to say it's a negative. I don't mean to complain at all about the fact that I have a family farm here and stuff. We, you know, we're fortunate. And I'm very blessed to have this opportunity, but I think that I, I have had many opportunities and seen multiple opportunities come up in areas away from home. You know, if you're willing to move, willing to do something different, uh, you know,
0: there's opportunity out there. So yeah. And don't be afraid to move like Jim Garrish did just because that's what he wanted to do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Take off right out.
3: The Pismaroy Valley is a pretty place, <laughs> and
2: apparently they have uh, fiber optic to his place, forty miles from a population of like twelve. To and and I'm an hour from the Twin Cities, population three million, and forty minutes from another couple hundred thousand population. I have horrible internet, so I'm
0: in the same it's situation. Ridiculous! I've but, got yeah. I've got
3: fiber optic at my house, and I'm thirty five really? miles from the nearest gas station in my house.
0: How does that even happen? It's like, a, that's what I, I, don't I have fiber too.
3: It's a government. And it's a government grant. You, just yeah. your, your, to, your telephone cooperative has to take the grant to do it, and uh, I don't know if it, it's a density population density issue that you guys are in too densely populated areas, so the grant isn't even available or what, but I think hmm. they had too 10 many years people can use it where you're at, so <laughs> yeah. we're not going
2: to give it to you. Right, <laughs> Exactly. <laughs>
3: they had 10 years to get fiber to every doorstep on their network. And I, yeah, they got us, they got us in like year two or three of the project. So, wow, that's awesome.
1: Yep. The way that works is the federal government hands out those subsidies to small telecoms based on telephone subscribers. Mm. So I have to have a home telephone line in order to get fiber internet to my house and i can't even tell you when the last person i it's pro, i don't think i've ever given that number out and i've lived here over 10 years i don't think i've ever really given that number out to anybody as as a serious way to contact me <laughs> the only reason that i have to have that phone like i can't have fiber internet without the phone There's, jared
0: do you do you have a landline jared
1: uh, no yeah, no so I, that, I that
0: left it. when my grandparents moved out yeah, I don't I don't
3: either. I I don't have cell phone service at my house. So I do have yeah, a Yeah, that's another thing. Yeah. I yeah. I yeah. do <laughs> have a landline, but it was the first time uh I think like 3 years after my wife and I got married, so 2009, uh we got rid of the landline and hadn't had one since you know, probably 10 years. We were without a landline for probably 10 years. And um you know, same thing. Got mine when we moved to a place where we didn't have cell <laughs> cell phone coverage and needed internet and uh, I know who's calling when that phone rings because there's only a few people that actually call me on that number.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Similar to Brian. I'm not even sure the ringer is turned on on that phone. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have anything else
3: in your outline, Brian? Outline? Ah.
1: <laughs> Who had an outline? We were supposed to come uh. with outlines? <laughs> <laughs> this was your assignment.
2: idea. Yeah. I. <laughs> uh, had a couple more questions, but we can talk about those on the next one because
3: this was, no, this is good. Not but trying to shut it down. To... I was just wondering just yeah. if anybody came with an ax to grind or whatever. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh, How man. did you say that? I got yeah. this problem with this Brian <laughs> Alexander guy. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. Well, now, now that you mention it, that, that guy that runs that herd quitter, we got a we got a bone to pick. <laughs>
2: Oh, uh, I'm just happy to be here. So, <laughs> well, this is, this has been good. Well, I'll have to do it again because I don't know. I think this was, uh, this was fun to, fun to chat. I think it's nice to just have conversation and
0: see where it goes. So this was good. I, I think it was really impressive that we only had to shut it down once like the the initial time earlier, when was that in the fall, and then come back and we got it on the second time, all of us together. Yeah. That yeah. was I think that's pretty, pretty darn impressive. Well, I, here's the next challenge. Let's get all four of
1: us in the same room mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. like a conference or a meeting or something, that way we can get like if there's somebody out there with a soil health regenerative ag conference, cattle conference, anybody that needs four guys to come and be on a panel we're volunteering i'll just volunteer the voluntold
0: the rest yeah yeah we had no no say in the matter now yeah (laughs) it'd be fun no No, i agree i totally agree
1: you can always say no but i think it'd be a lot of fun to get all four of us on a stage with hot mics in front of a crowd would be cool.
3: absolutely. What's the net well, the, what's central location? Not that we have to go cuz that's like the Sand Hills of Nebraska probably is the right, central location say, for us.
1: <laughs> probably roughly Valentine Nebraska, but that's yeah. not really that great of a place to go right now.
2: Well, oh, there's Kansas, a Kansas City. We, there's a great uh, bull sale in Valentine Nebraska <laughs> with uh good group of bulls from a certain Minnesota farmer uh <laughs> there so uh, shameless just plug. Just throwing that out there but <laughs>
3: Oh no. yes, Did there. <laughs> Shameless plug. That was great. <laughs> Perfect.
1: Okay.
3: Maybe maybe Kit will uh, help us out. He'll he'll yeah. give us the platform. That could be the night the the meeting the night before. Don't they always do yeah, a meeting the, pre-sale the
2: night meeting. before? Yeah, in sale
3: meeting. Yep. yep. We could just sit as on as the actually
2: willing to go to all four fall sales. Y'all willing to travel for... Oh, we have to go to all four
3: fall sales? Well, he usually likes to make one person, you know, do the rounds of them all. Sure, so. sure. We could just sit yeah. on the auction block at the sale and do it. Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Yeah.
2: That'd be cool. That fun. would be cool. Yeah. Podcast the whole thing.
3: Yep. <laughs> oh. I think we should... Yeah. Somebody somebody who knows Kit Farrow who talks to him on his podcast fairly regularly should see if he can make that happen. Yeah. Too bad I don't... Have a connection to them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to kill it. I'm sorry. I was just didn't know if somebody else had it. <laughs> Why don't
0: why don't we all kind of plug our own podcasts? That's you know, just in case for uh, somebody who just in
3: case that Venn listening. diagram
0: isn't a circle. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I've only got thirteen in mind, so I'm working on <laughs> to clay. So
2: Yeah.
1: Perfect.
0: Well, jealous of you guys at double digits. <laughs> <laughs> well go first jason since you it up, so i have i have the ag state of mind podcast uh we release every monday uh my big my big focus is mental health and agriculture um how it can apply to us on our operations and how we live our best lives because of uh, doing the things that we love and enjoy. So, um, that's, that's where I'm at. I have huge thanks to all of you guys for having me on your podcast. Um, it's been, uh, been a really fun journey. You're doing a great job too, by the way. Thank
1: you, sir. Yep. All of you guys are,
3: I mean, yeah, it's been, been awesome to see.
1: Thank you Podfather. <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh, I I'll go next, I guess, uh, I just whenever I have the opportunity I direct people to ranchingpodcast.com as of the recording of this episode there are 277 episodes on that page you can find somebody that you like or dislike and listen to them and you know I'm a, I'm not opposed to hate listens uh you know if you're you're hate listening go ahead that's fine <laughs> <laughs> Yeah oh. And I uh
2: I've got the herd quitter podcast um just yeah talk to farmers and ranchers who aren't afraid to think differently and uh yeah hopefully find some success out of that so you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts or on instagram and facebook although i don't post all that regularly i do get an episode i don't post on social media i do get an episode out every monday so far Uh, hoping to keep that trend going
3: over 100 episodes that's quite a streak
2: yeah. Yeah. Nice last week was about the closest I came. I was, uh, I thought I accidentally deleted my audio right oh, after man. I finished editing at uh, like 1130 no. at night and I released at one and I was about to just call it, but then I found it somewhere. So I found it. So yeah, haven't lost it yet.
1: <laughs> nice. That's a close one. I've made it to noon on Saturday and not had a Monday podcast and still, and still <laughs> made release. Oh. Yeah. I am Red Hills Rancher. I'm the host of the Ranching Reboot podcast. Um, tagline I've been kicking around is rebooting your thinking about farmers, ranchers, food systems, and the people that operate them. Mm. So if you're already listening to one podcast, you know, what's one more for the rest of your day? Yeah. <laughs> and like everybody else, Monday mornings. Yeah,
3: And I think, think that there's the, there's the other thing is I, I still get emails from people asking about starting podcasts and I don't think we've reached the upper limit of, our audience's ability to consume content yet because i think that they have a lot of time out on the road in the pasture whatever they're doing uh where they can they can still listen to more there's still more room in this space for more podcasts i think
1: you can only listen to the same 12 songs on satellite radio so many times yeah (laughs) yeah all right anything else I think I'm good, Podfather. This has been a lot it's of fun. Good. I'm, I'm glad fun we fun. made this work, gentlemen. Yeah. I'm glad thanks, you guys. had the idea, Brian.
0: Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Brian. This is all Brian's idea. So, yeah. Thanks, buddy.
1: Okay. I'll, I'll own it. And <laughs> if it turns out that it's horrible, uh, we don't ever have to do it again. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. After they hear this, then for sure, Kit won't want us. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Welcome to Ag State of Mind